Father B, even if we laugh and make jokes, we swear we take this seriously. Yeah, we do. <laughs> if you weren't laughing and making jokes, I'd be a little nervous. <laughs> right. Welcome, everybody, to the Men for Life podcast. Uh, this is either episode six or eight. We're not sure. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We have uh, the great blessing of having Father Matthew Beadricki uh, here with us today. Thank you, Father, for joining us. And uh, we will be going over some questions with the Father. And what we'd love to do, because we have a priest in the studio, is to have Father uh, to kick us off in prayer, and then we'll go to uh, the questions that we have prepared. And so, Father, welcome, and please uh, lead us in prayer, please, for the for the beginning of the Men for Life podcast, episode six to eight. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Pete. And uh, we just uh, call on the Lord's name, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for the opportunity to come together today and to continue to build a culture of life by building up men for life. And we pray that you may bless the good work that has begun here and bring it to fulfillment. Mary, we turn to you in a special way as our mother. Uh, look upon us and uh, give us what we need to carry out the Lord's will. Uh, Hail Mary, full, full of grace, grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed, Blessed art thou among women. women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady Queen of Peace, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks, Father. Thank you, Father. My pleasure. Yeah, we, um, uh, we're so happy to have you on the podcast today. And I sent you some, some of the, just the general idea is we are trying to create a culture of life for men. And so... And we, we started out on the issue of abortion, but there's a much larger sort of question behind that, which is how are, especially young men, how are we supposed to behave in general, especially as it relates to um, our interactions with women, things like this. And, and, and the culture, as you, as you said when, in the beginning, this idea that the culture of life is so important— what does that mean to you? How would you define the culture of life? If somebody asked you, hey, Father Beatrice, what is the culture of life and why is it important? I think it's a basic question. No, it's a wonderful question. The culture of life, I think it begins fundamentally for us as Christians with the fact that God is the giver of all life. And as men, particularly, uh, we look back to the book of Genesis and Adam is uh, given the task to protect, to cultivate uh, that which is given to him in the garden. And I think that same vocation devolves to each of us. We are called to be stewards of life, uh, what has been given to us by our Father, and uh, to carry that uh, through um, in all the activities of our life. There's no uh, uh, private things, uh, I guess, about us. You know, everything about us is being incarnate beings, uh, having flesh and you know, interacting with other incarnate beings. You know, makes all our activities in a, uh, a public way, you know, in the um, best sense of the word. And so we got to be uh, conscientious uh, that our, our private decisions do impact uh, others, uh, whether we know it or not. And so you know, I think just being uh, careful of that, conscious of that, it's all part and parcel to being stewards of a culture of life. And so I don't know if that's helpful. It's kind of yeah, a Yeah, it's very helpful. It's really life. helpful. No, it's really interesting. Mm hmm. Hmm. Pete, do you have any thoughts on that? You have thoughts on everything. Pete has thoughts on everything. There he does. It's a beautiful Pete's thing. Pete's like, you're looking at me like, you guys can't see this because we're not doing the video. We haven't upgraded to video. But Pete was like, 
Do I have thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I had a whole. <laughs> I could do a whole podcast of my thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, we can pause just on incarnate. Mm-hmm. We have some listeners that maybe don't fully understand, you know, all terminology within the. So, just real quick, if you could give us a little better, you know, incarnate definition and understanding. That was a great, great question. Uh, okay, incarnate. Uh, Carnus, if I believe, if I, my Latin's correct, it means flesh, all right? Uh, incarnate would be, especially what we believe of Jesus Christ, he is God, and he is God made man. He, he takes to himself a human body, human flesh, and so when we talk about incarnate, or the incarnation, that's what we're talking about, especially. And so with Christ coming among us and dwelling among us, everything has changed. And so life is already precious, but now it's even raised higher, uh, because it's been taken to the divinity and uh, sanctified in a unique way. And so we have an even higher responsibility to protect and defend life in its, all its stages from uh, conception till natural death. So, Father Beadricky, that thank you, because that's exactly what I was thinking about, sure. you know, of you mm-hmm. defining for us. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm so pumped that we have a priest with us who's a just devout, Super intelligent, <laughs> faithful, oh, yeah, really so crazy. helpful for us. <laughs> it's an upgrade, Father. Thank yeah, you so five much. Minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> We're already way. Oh, this is the, the the most intellectually satisfying <laughs> men for life Praise podcast God. yet. Praise <laughs> the incarnate Lord. Get ready, everyone. We have a lot more coming. <laughs> and um, there's so the thought, honestly, as you described that, Father B, is here I was, a young man, didn't fully understand what you just described until my late 20s. And as I learned it, which was really uh, tied into Pope John Paul and theology of the body teaching, and this misunderstanding that I had about myself, my own body, my own flesh, you know, my wife and her body and her flesh and all that. But but back to what you said about these private things or private decisions, that's something that all men go through, all men struggle with, and really, really are struggling with now, especially with cell phones, rampant pornography, and all that. So I heard something once at a business meeting, and someone said, your core values are who you are when no one's watching. Mm. And I understood that from a business perspective then, and it made me a better person, and it made me a better business professional. However, I didn't understand it from this perspective yet. And that, what you just hit on, that just struck a major chord with me because when I learned to um, to purify myself, but most importantly, my own flesh, and when I stumbled across Our Lady of Fatima and she said mm-hmm. the greatest sins that we have are our sins of our flesh, I was like, oh, gosh, that's like I can't cure anything if I can't cure that. I have mm-hmm. to get to that root first before. And, and what you just said was it goes all the way back to Adam in the garden. So I was thinking to myself – Without knowing formally everything that you know, I was thinking, gosh, if this is in the original book of Genesis, this must be the foundation, you know, to all of it, I'm guessing, you know, without any formal theology. Yeah, you know. we, we, we had a professor in the seminary who we, we uh, would uh, at times uh, joke about, you know, she would say everything comes back to the garden. And we thought, well, how does everything come back to the garden? Well, with the uh, fall of man, we begin to see the first like movements of uh, salvation breaking forth, right? Already there, the Trinity is at work, Father, Son, Holy Spirit at the very beginning, but you know, it's, it's there that we see a lot of things beginning to come together. And actually, you mentioned John Paul II in the Theology of the Body, that uh, it was a series of catecheses that 
John Paul II offered in the early 1980s in preparation for and kind of leading from a, a worldwide meeting of bishops on the family and its, its vocation in the world. And uh, one of the things he spends great deal a great deal of time on is what we learn about man and woman by looking back at them uh, in the beginning, the original man and original woman. And there's much to be drawn from that, uh, just seeing man's primary relationship with the Lord and then his relationship with everybody else kind of flowing out of that fundamental bond. Um, and you know, we start to see the whole of our life as part of our, our vocation, part of our, our call, uh, if you will, especially that call from God. It just changes all the decisions that we make, you know. And so when I say there's no like pri- uh, purely private decisions, you know, there's different degrees of intimacy and different things that we certainly would keep to ourselves and share in, in confidence one to another. But uh, recognizing that, you know, anything I do, it, it can have an impact on other people. And so, I mean, that I think is not meant to be like a an overly um, careful or anxious uh, concern, like everything I do is being watched, that kind of thing. No, that's not what we're going for, but uh, being conscious that what I decide, what I dis- what I speak about, what I think about, what I take into myself, it's going to come out in one way or another. It's going to form uh, the man there, uh, body and soul, in some way, shape, or form. And so that's going to have an impact on everybody else I talk to and interact with. Mm. Yeah. So the culture of death began in the garden, essentially, when we decided that mm. we were going to disobey God and we were going to become God. Is that is that how you're, you're, perhaps you would look at it from the, what your teacher was saying in the seminary? Is that what she means by that? Amen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a really, yeah, that's a really uh, salient point you make there, and it's important. So, yeah, the culture of death begins in the garden. I guess in a certain sense, the culture of life the uh, begins there as well with the promise of the Father, you know, that the, the uh, well, the man, the the woman, and the serpent would be at odds with one another, and her offspring would uh, crush the head of the serpent. You know, see there too, kind of the promise of salvation, and uh, you know, not by uh, cowering from the evils, uh, but by uh, confronting them honestly and uh, you know, with in the Lord. Uh, that's where we begin to see healing. Mm. Yeah. I think that's interesting. And Father, I, I wanted to, because you, you're a young man yourself. You're, Pete, and, Pete and I are old, like middle-aged dudes, and you're like not a young that. guy. You're yeah, not old. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. We're, we're, we're like, yeah, but you're, you know, and so you, ch- and I think this is interesting because we're, we're, we're trying to target this podcast to men and especially younger men who sure. are discerning mm. what path in life they want to take. And if we're, we're sort of breaking it down here between culture of life, culture of death, mm-hmm. and you were in a normal, not normal, but you were in a, let's say a secular, you went to Temple, right? Mm-hmm. Temple University. So yep. you saw the secular life mm. and you had to make a choice. You're sitting there in your own little let's say, microcosm of the garden and saying, okay, which way am I going to go here? Because I see my friends at Temple doing one thing, and I'm not sure that that's what I want to do. And so maybe some younger people could take some inspiration from how you thought through that and how you prayed through that and sort of how you were able to bring on the the armor of God to go towards um, a cult, you know, sort of in your own way, towards the culture of life and away from the culture of death. Because you've faced the same temptations that a young, you know, 18-year-old kid or 16-year-old kid is facing right now in a public school or even a Catholic school. Mm-hmm. So do you have any thoughts on that, um, on how, how you dealt with that in your in your past? Yeah, no, I think that, uh, you know, I was grateful that uh, you know, we're, we're talking about this specifically because I think uh, I look back at my own 
kind of journey to the, the priesthood specifically, but even more generally to just living a committed Christian life. Uh, grade school, high school in Philadelphia was, was Catholic for me. And um, I mean, going through that, I learned a number of the fundamentals of our, of our faith, but the way that transferred or translated into a life well lived uh, was not uh, totally clear to me until I went to Temple University, a public university in an urban environment, and uh, really began to see how those uh, teachings come into conflict with, more often than not, that which is uh, the daily bread of the, the masses in most, uh, most places in America, especially in an urban environment in a city. And uh, as I began to see that, I guess the, the moral inconsistencies, at first I was, I was uh, tolerant of, or the, the, I was okay to just kind of like bumble along but as time went on, that became dissatisfying in a very deep way. And uh, it was through the encounter with persons who were distinctly living a Christian life in the midst of that environment that I began to see there, there's a better way, there's a third way uh, that we can pursue and in confidence. And as mm-hmm. I was beginning to get to know them, I was realizing that ultimately I was beginning to get to know Christ. Uh, they were the, the, the introduction uh, for me to what a, a personal relationship with Christ in his church uh, can look like and the joy that can be consequent of living in, in that conscious, conscious and conscientious way. And so as I began to get to know them, the real kind of flashpoint for me was uh, uh, at a, a student conference, a national student conference in 2008 with the Fellowship of Catholic University students and it was seeing Jesus in the Eucharist that changed everything. And when I say that, you know, the Eucharist, we believe, is the, the bread and wine presented at Mass. We really and truly believe it becomes the body and blood of Christ. And, you know, to, to see that, to say that, to, to stand on that is really an extraordinary and incredible thing. And so as I began to uh, recognize that, I mean, if that's real, if Christ really took on flesh and dwells among us, not just dwelt among, but dwells among us, in that flesh, uh, everything else about my life must conform to that. It's, it's going to look different. And if it's not, then there's something inconsistent about the way that I'm living my Christian life in whatever context I'm in. And so, you know, when I came back from that, I, I remember, uh, you know, wondering what the heck does that mean? And, you know, what does it mean to pray? And what does it mean to, like, worship in this way? And, you know, I'm like, I'm like is sainthood possible? Is that what they're sa- saying to me? And, you know, in fact, it is, uh, and it just begins with a generous heart given to him and to the life that he calls us to live, right? And so I started to pray, started to go to Mass more, started to go to confession with much more honesty than I think I, I may have in the past, and uh, just a deeper examination of life than I was ready to or willing to engage in before. And out of that came came peace, and a peace that uh, still abides, you know, a piece that is still, I mean, growing and um, still kind of growing in. So, um, you know, I think that just that, that generous open heart to what God calls us to uh, is, is really where it begins, and we need not fear it, uh, even if it calls for great change in, in our lives and a little bit of suffering. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a quick question sure. on, the, Pete, on, the, on that great on. change? Do it. Man. I'm super I'm pumped right now. <laughs> and actually as you're talking, Father B, mm-hmm. um it 
I'm, I'm excited for our oldest children to hear this, especially our sons. <clears throat> They're 16 and 15 years old, so this is nice for them because I know they tangle with this too. You said something that was really important. You said, I didn't realize that there was a third way. Hmm. And I think that most, most men are thinking that there's two ways, right. not even conscious of the fact that there's a third way which you described through Christ. I'm guessing that you meant that the other two ways would kind of be the morality versus the immorality that you were ex- seeing or the, or just, so could you explain that a little bit? That it wasn't, it wasn't picking the two traditional things that you were first seeing at temple, that there was a third new way that was presented to you through Christ. Is that what you meant by that? Or through these Christians, students that you were meeting that seemed to be living like differently or counterculturally or... Because you can be a good person and you don't even have to believe in God. You just, you right? I mean, that's what that's what a lot of non-believers or sure. non-religious, you know, quote unquote, right. would tell us. Like, well, why can't we just be a good person? Right. You know? and, and the third way. Well, I'll just let you. Yeah. Sorry. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the third way. I mean, the the way of Jesus Christ would supersede. Like, it's like naturally good, naturally. Uh, I guess I guess naturally good or naturally given to like I don't know following our passions wherever they may lead us. Uh, the way of the Lord is, I mean, altogether superior to that natural goodness alone. Like as a Christian, I'm not called to just be a naturally good or like generally nice person. I'm I'm actually called to be holy as God, my Father in heaven is holy, and so that that requires of me a different kind of life than what would just pass for good in the world, maybe, and you could use the definition like do no harm in the world. Um, but do no harm often terminates at a certain point, right? But God calls us to something even deeper. You know, we think about Christ and the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it doesn't just, uh, you know, speak about, you know, like uh, uh, taking another's wife as one's own is like being adultery, but uh, looking at anyone with lust is committing adultery with her in, in your heart. You know, it takes that, that, naturally good thing of not committing adultery, but now it takes it even to another level deeper wherein the heart must be purified and must actually look like Christ in order to, to truly be uh, what, what it's called to be uh, yes. as a disciple. So um, I guess that might be the third way to think yeah. about articulating that a little more fully. But Would you say that was there any particular aspects of the culture of death that were particularly troubling to you at that time? Was it sort of like rampant. I mean, there's there's a lot of it around. Obviously, I mean, you saw. Was there anything that was you're like, hey, wow, this is this is not okay. Cheating on a test is one thing, but I mean, or is there was there any particular elements of let's call it the culture of death that were particularly abhorrent to you? I think the biggest one was, I mean, moral relativism comes to mind. Um, and I think about it, and you know, like with pornography and masturbation being like. I remember listening to a radio program, and it's apparently a fairly popular one in Philadelphia, but it was held up as something very normal, even healthy. And as time went on, uh, one begins to see just how that's not true, and actually it corrodes a lot of other otherwise good things we'd be engaged in. And uh, it's like one of those gateway drugs in the culture of death to a lot of different things, um, mm-hmm. even more uh, 
Amen. Amen. Can we get a amen? Sorry about amen. Amen. We're speaking to all of you right now. <laughs> right. If we're not speaking to you, come on, be real. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no. I mean, that's. I mean, like drugs, alcohol, these other things, bad things that are you know certainly bad. We want to fight them, and absolutely. But this one is like the secret sin that a lot of men and women can just get into and then never really get out of. Um, because it is so accessible, so pervasive now in, right. in ways that it was not before. Right. So. When I was 15, if the pornography that exists today existed then, I never would have left the house. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, yeah. that's where I was. It was yeah. just like, I mean, it's so, it's unbelievable. It's, yeah. Everybody who's carrying around a cell phone has one click access mm -hmm. to the most explicit sexual material in any form. And yeah. young people, I mean... I said that in jest. Obviously, I'm not like proud of that. I was like, you know, living in the world of sin and it didn't end in good places. And that's mm -hmm. why I came around ultimately. Sure. But man, the level today is is off the chart. So the kid, like what Pete's sons are dealing with and daughters, it's just different level than finding a mag at your dad's, you know, like wherever. Like it's and, just a different level. And the, the men and women who take part in it aren't free. And that's like one of the things that's often overlooked. I mean, like you know, human trafficking, what we used to call slavery. I mean, you know, there are things like sex slaves and stuff. The persons who are partaking in this are not necessarily like doing so of their own, own free will. And that's things that we just overlook. So I, let know. me, let me follow up on this. I think it's really important. So the young guy who's listening to this podcast, hopefully God willing, when he, when he distributes this to the world, um, He's, but he said to you, Father, hey, Father, look, it's just, I'm not hurting anybody. It's just me with myself. And it's like fun. It's enjoyable. What, like, what am I hurting? You know, I, I mean, okay, I could be doing my homework, but so what? Andrew, okay. you stole the words out of my mouth because I remember having this conversation with, mm -hmm. um, with I think it was our oldest son, Pete, a few years ago. As he was like, you know, eighth, ninth grade age. And he asked me that very same question. Yeah. He said, Dad, I was talking to some of the guys. It's like locker room talk or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you have some older guys that have reclassed. So, you know, maybe they're 15 and not 13, you know, or something mm -hmm. like that. And it was like, that came up, Dad. What's the, what's even the answer to that? Now, I don't know if he was battling that himself or mm -hmm. if it was a conversation among the sure. guys. Either way, but it was, if I'm just masturbating, then who who else am I affecting, you mm -hmm. know? And you're right. There's something way deeper going on there. Yeah. Like I, I said uh, just a few moments ago about like the kind of formation, like holistically that, you know, we are engaged in every day, you know, by the decisions we make, by the things we take in, the things we study, choose to read, not to read, choose to view, not to view. Uh, it's all producing the character that's going to uh, be with us here and hereafter. You know, we want to be very careful about the formation of our soul, our human formation and um, that can be a, a grave deformation. You know, as we start to see in these images uh, real people and begin to see them as like things to be used for my own uh, designs versus someone's to actually be loved and engaged, cherished, you know, and, and begin to like sometimes sounds corny, but like some things to be used versus someone's to be loved. But John Paul II says something about this, like. Uh, the opposite of love is an apathy, but use. Mm -hmm. use. Oh, that's a great line. Um, and so uh, he says that in love and responsibility, I think. And um, I mean, really, it just it, it captures so much there. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I remember 
reading about a couple of years ago was, uh, you know, the uh, effeminacy isn't like uh, acting in a womanly way or like a ladylike way. Effeminacy, I think Thomas Aquinas talks about being unable to do the hard thing. And more often than not, doing the hard thing begins with denying myself, denying my passions in order that I might carry out the good that is immediately presented to me, what I ought to be about. And so, you know, it leads to the formation of effeminate men who are not able to then carry out the good that is before them. And that's a grave concern because if men fall, then society is going to fall because men are need be. And I think appropriately, they're the bedrock of the, the family along with their wives. And if uh, the family falls, you know, so too goes the culture. Uh, John Paul said something about Whoa. that. Yeah. Amen. And I, th- so, so is it is it just to follow up this question? So the desire itself is a natural desire. The desire for sexual fulfillment of some sort is a natural desire. And what you're saying then maybe is that it's it's not there is consequences because you're viewing two dimensional images of people, and you're you're seeing them as just meth- just tools for you to use for your pleasure, and that forms a habit. And then you can't help but have your character formed by that which you do and that which you dwell on in your thoughts. So the proper use of that sexual desire that you have is to form either, you know, take a celibate path and, and, and um, let's say know, sublimate is the right word, but you, you sort of bind it to God in a spiritual way or you, you, you make it um, fruitful in, in, the, in the act of marriage with a woman. So the next question I think that leads to, is that, is that a, a decent summary? No, it's a, I mean, I think that's just pretty accurate. Uh, it's, it, it's one of the most tangible expressions of the desire. And I mean, who we are is uh, not only being created to, to uh, we are, we are meant to give ourselves away in, in as a gift. And that, I think that desire is most manifest in many ways in that desire to give ourselves to our beloved, you know, I mean, naturally that would terminate in like in in marriage you know it's beautiful institutions given us by god or it could too then be taken and consecrated and set aside uh for an even higher purpose in in the holy priesthood as we would see as, as catholic christians um and so uh yeah i, I think that's that's really a, a good way to say that andrew yeah it's it's probably a good place for me to just insert my love and respect for our priests so if you don't mind yeah. um this is something that's very real and that we all struggle with and the and the denying of ourself as you said is a virtue you know in and of itself but we all struggle with that especially as men and i think what you hit on was so critical is that that feminacy begins where it's actually it's actually taking masculine and making it less masculine Mm -hmm. you know what man wants to be less masculine that's not exactly (laughs) right but but we're engaging in an activity that's making us less masculine and making us a prisoner to it right you wake up the next day and it's what you're thinking about you know when am i going to do that again or you know your phone you know loops you into it but um but when it hit me i think father which i think is important is what you guys just described is you have that celibacy maybe as a single man or as a priest but as a married man you don't have that but we also need to learn that inside of the marriage too, which comes a lot from Pope John Paul's teaching. I still remember after our first pregnancy when the when Trisha's OBGYN said, all right, you're out of there, Pete, he said to me. That was the terms he used. He said, you're out of there, eight weeks. And I was like, the heck, 
are you talking about? <laughs> eight weeks. He might as well have said 400 years. I mean, eight weeks. I was like, what are you talking about? And I had already made a commitment at that point not to be impure with myself. Mm. So that was going to be a true eight weeks. And I was like, oh, my gosh. In those eight weeks, and Trish and I did slip one time. Mm-hmm. I remember, but in those eight weeks, or I should say at the end of those eight weeks, what it made me realize is, oh my gosh, this is what our priests do and, and, and choose for a lifetime. And immediately I was like, it was around 05 and 06 during the sexual uh, scandals and things mm-hmm. like that too. And I was thinking, yeah. gosh, instead of throwing stones and criticizing and attacking our priest, I have even more respect for them because they don't get to do something sexually that I get to do as a married man, right. and I get to fulfill that desire, yeah, how right? Hard, I mean, how hard is that, Father B, in your experience? Well, Has it gotten easier over time? or I think that uh, priests are subject to the same sorts of temptations that any man would be. If we weren't, that would be, I mean, really, really curious or divine. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, chastity is something that each of us is called to in our particular vocation. Chastity is a properly ordered love, you know, beginning with the uh, love for God, and then that transfers into my love for my neighbor and the body and soul all the way through. And so, I mean, yeah, I think, Pete, you make a good point there that, I mean, that kind of uh, marital chastity is a real thing, you know, and so like when someone gets married, it's not like, well, now we can uh, have sex whenever we want. You know, there's actually an order and end to that relationship. I mean, that is that uh, one of the most tangible signs of that marital bond. It's one of the reasons why sex outside of marriage is disordered because it's it's not in its proper context, right? And so that context would be in that union, which is ordered towards bringing life into the world, the procreation, education of children, and then, too, the upbuilding of the spouses themselves. It is a gift. It's meant to be used, in a, in a, as all gifts are, in the way that they were intended, not just however we decide we want to use them. Um, that's but, when they're fully expressing what it is that they're meant to meant to. Have but you, we all have. Oh, I'm sorry. I was no, just going to say, but we all have this disordered appetite that's constantly, you know, just yeah, like that's, chipping that's away at us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does it sorry. come easier over time for you? Because it's obviously you've been a priest now for a little while. Has it has it become was it harder to deal with in the beginning, this concept? Or was it look, I, this is what I'm doing. I'm you know, or how is your personal struggle with it or maybe not a struggle? Yeah, no, I mean, I think each day I have to make a decision to live in a way that is uh, in conformity with the way of life that I've been called to undertake and by my ordination, uh, which I mean, is like the, the seal on that. And I'm, I'm a priest and you know, you're, you're reading the Psalms, you're a priest forever if the order of Melchizedek and that's first uh, indicative of Jesus Christ. But then those, then two of those men, he calls uh, to follow him as as his priest and serve in his church as his priest, and so each day, I mean, it's a it's a new it's a renewed commitment I need make just as a married man needs make to his beloved uh, first to God and then to his beloved that I'm going to remain as I am uh, in this committed covenant of love, and so I mean I think the struggles are real. I mean the temptations are still real, um, but two I mean if we're committed to that and we're making that decision daily a virtue begins to grow out of that. Right. And so the habit so, does form. Yeah. Yeah. And so those, I mean, virtues are those, those habits, good habits that make us good, right? They're productive of good. Right. And so, um, you know, the, the virtue can make it, uh, uh, certainly can, can give us, I mean, virile strength, you know, so we're able to do the hard thing more regularly, 
Um, but if that's absent, then yeah, we're going to be subject to the same kind of waves and winds that everybody is. So would your recommendation to the young man listening to this show is that it sounds like what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that what's helpful is to have that higher commitment. So it's not just that you're going away from the lower, it's that you have this higher mm. commitment that draws you towards something. Mm. You're towards the Lord. You're towards this, um, you know, you're going, your head, you're pointing upwards and that sort of lifts you because it's not, it's going to be really hard if you don't have that because now you're just fighting the lower without the help of the higher, mm-hmm. without that ordering yourself towards um towards the Lord. And in Pope John Paul's words, Andrew, is before you answer that, Father B, is he says that the culture teaches us that there's only a fast food diet and a starvation diet. Or it could be Christopher West, you know, paraphrasing John Paul, um, the great. And it's, it's, and that's truly what we all believe. What you just said, Mm -hmm. Andrew, is we're not taught to be ordered to something even greater. We're actually being told that just starve yourself, you know? And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. It's not fast food or starvation. There's actually a bounty (laughs) and that's what the Lord's trying to give us. So it's great. It's a great metaphor. Yeah. I was like, oh, that totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. So father B sorry, but yeah, no, no. I think, um, I mean, I, I always come back. I mean, as Christians, our most fundamental consecration, that means like being set aside for a holy purpose, for some higher calling, particularly to be holy as God is holy, uh, that begins in baptism for each of us. And so, I mean, we're given a gift in these uh, deeper consecrations to married life, to uh, holy priesthood, uh, being set aside for a holy purpose and service to the church and to our neighbor. Um, But Baptism is where it begins for all of us. And, I mean, you think about it in baptism, you know, I die with Christ a death like his and rise with him in his resurrection. What does that mean? Well, when I'm washed in the waters of baptism, it's whole the whole of me, body and soul, that's washed in those waters. The whole of my person is set aside for God's honor and glory and praise. And, like, if we want a more, like, an immediate, I'm thinking about young guys, an immediate, like, summons to a higher calling, a uh, way of life, just being a Christian, we're called to that. You know, your your body is not your own. Um, you know, so um, there's a line, I think, in the letter to the Corinthians. Uh, Paul talks about, like, the wife's body is not her own, but her husband's, and the husband's body is not his own, but his beloved, his wives. Um, and that, I mean, we think about with the Lord, though, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, well, now in a very distinct way by this consecration, this baptism, I'm set aside for that higher purpose you mm-hmm. know my body's not my own in a more immediate way yeah and when you look at them that way your beloved now you look at them as a gift not as something yeah. to be used mm-hmm. as you were describing before i mean mm-hmm. in our early years i would have never said to trisha oh my gosh god made you special just for me like i wouldn't mm-hmm. have said that you know but i say that to her all the time now probably to a point that it's annoying you know what i mean <laughs> that it's like because it's i recognize it now like she mm-hmm. really is that's not for me to use <laughs> it's mm-hmm. for it was a gift somebody gives you a gift yeah you utilize the gift but you don't objectify it sure. and use it so mm-hmm. yeah this is awesome father b do you want to is there any um real fast on this note before you skip uh, Andrew is is there anything that you practice or that you practiced even in your temple university days of just trying to um, stay away from sin or deny yourself or something I mean 
You go to um, confession, you get clean, yeah. obviously, and then it's like, all right, I don't want to get dirty. How do I, what do I do now for the next day, few days, week? What, what's next? Sure. Um, I mean, I think fundamentally, uh, you know, you said confession. I would come back to confession regularly, um, once a week, once every other week, once a month. Those are actually really regular intervals uh, for uh, a healthy diet of confession. Um, prayer. Uh, really beginning to commit oneself to a life of prayer. Because out of that, we begin to get a, a better picture of ourselves in light of uh, God's plan for us. And, you know, oftentimes if we're in sin, then I mean, the Holy Spirit, one of his normal ways of working, if we're in sin, is going to prick our conscience, and we're going to become more aware of those areas that we are apt to fall into. Or if we're in them, recognizing just the with more and more time, the gravity of what it is I'm involved in or not involved in, whatever it may be. Um, and then once we are out of that, the Holy Spirit is going to still continue to be at work to not only um, you know, keep us in that place of grace, that state of grace, but too is going to uh, make the, the work that's involved in maintaining and persevering in that uh, light even easy, you know, and the you know, the evil one and his spirit's going to you know, try and tempt us to believe, well, this is too much. You know, you don't have to really do this. It's You can go to confession tomorrow, um, put it off, whatever it may be. But just trying to be conscientious about our daily prayers, confession regularly, Sunday Mass, those are really, I mean, it, it, it's a fundamental. It's a non-negotiable for really trying to beginning to live a life that's centered on God, to be a, a man of life ultimately. And especially as young men and women, it'll get us like you just described from point to point, Father yeah. Beatrice, mm-hmm. you know, because sure. you, you need your those those veins of grace that if we're going to like navigate the the day to day kind of things that come up, you know, mm-hmm. each of our relationships and families which are unique and you know, um we need to have those those channels open if we're gonna navigate them well. You know? I wanted to yeah. Um, just switch it because I know I'm sensitive of your time. I know you have to go at the top of the hour. So just wanted to get a, maybe a quicker hit on. Uh, we'd love to get a part two. So yeah, I'm trying to okay. <laughs> trying to commit you on the air. But anyway, right. we'll leave it alone. <laughs> what do you think um, men's role in abortion is? Meaning from the perspective mm-hmm. of because we're told in the culture that it's my body, my choice, meaning I'm a woman. And therefore what's happening, whether I decide to keep my child or I decide to end my child's life. It's up to me because I, I'm i the owner of, this is like my body, my choice. And so men are, are sort of kind of told, put to the side in this issue. And I mm-hmm. wondered what your thoughts were about men's role in um, in abortion as an issue and as a just sort of any thoughts that you have on that as a way of, of touching on that subject because it's a big subject for the culture at the moment too. Yeah, um, I, I was... A few weeks ago, I was given a presentation on this to our Christian initiation group on human life issues and abortion figures prominently, and I ended up going ad nauseum on uh, the subject of contraception and how that feeds into this, which at first, I mean, can seem unrelated. In fact, contraception is brought up sometimes as a, a solution to or a preventative of uh, even having the conversation about abortion. Abortion would seem like the last resort, but uh contraception, pornography, they all feed into that same kind of mentality of uh, use over love. And uh, as far as, I mean, men's involvement, I mean, men have a say, uh, as like I said before, 
by our vocation, we're called to be protectors, cultivating the, the gifts of God that have been entrusted to our care. And in a very immediate way, I mean, you know, every child that comes into this world, there's a man involved. There's a man, one man and one woman involved in that, um, at whatever remove it may be. And, uh, and being conscientious that this is not just a religious issue, but it's a matter of life and life and death. Uh, we need to be firm in this. This isn't up for debate whether or not this child is a child. It's a it's a child. You know, if left un un uh, in, inhibited, you know that uh, embryo is going to grow into a person, right? When it's, I mean, that's just common sense. We start to follow the logic. And so, you know, we can begin to con- convince, convince, or convince ourselves of many different things, which just, uh, you know, enter upon any kind of train of logic. But that's one we really can't debate. And, right. and even when we're challenged to enter into that debate, I mean, it's not like, a, you know, to just come back to, I mean, this is a child and not just a thing. I mean, that's what they're going to try and convict us of. It's that this is this little one in the womb is a thing and not a person. And we need to be firm. Right. You know, even when we don't have all the arguments ready at hand, it's not like we have to doubt. I mean, like Christ has won the victory and we need to be confident in that and stand in that, particularly as Christians and um, keep fighting. Amen. And I think it's interesting, you, this, this connection you're drawing, or at least it came to my mind, was the culture of death is a culture of lies mm-hmm. because we're forced to lie about the nature of the child, which even common sense, what natural reason you could say. So you don't need a Christian mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. Just natural reason would say, what do human beings produce when they reproduce? What is, mm-hmm. it, what is the product of that? It has to be human. It couldn't, yeah. It's not a shoe. It's obvious. And so the culture of death is so tied, the father of lies is so tied with the, with, with the denial of truth. Mm-hmm. And that's, maybe that's the, I think if I were, you know, I'm always thinking about how we can talk to younger people about this. And to me, it's like, that's what the culture is constantly feeding you is lies. It's constantly feeding you. It's okay to engage in pornography. It's okay to engage in masturbation. It's okay to engage in sex outside of marriage. In fact, it's liberation. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, that is a lie that is based upon a lie yeah. of the human. Per- it doesn't understand that based on a wrong assessment of what is the human person and what is human life and what is a good human life. And it's so obvious. And if you're young and you're looking around, look around you. Go you know, to look up Kensington. Like, look <laughs> at the end game of this culture. Everybody's depressed. Everybody's on some mm. kind of pills of yeah. some sort. Everybody, you know, there's 3,000 babies being executed on a daily basis in this country alone. Mm-hmm. 5,000% exactly. increase in suicide. Right. Like yeah. 100,000 people dying of drug overdoses in the country last year as opposed to, right? So what? But the what, enslavement is being packaged, like you said, right. as liberation. Freedom, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> like just scratch a little bit below the surface and you'll see that. Everybody's look like the church and the teachings of the church mm-hmm. are so much more humane, mm-hmm. so much more true. And I yeah. think that's the, to me, that's the fundamental lesson I'm getting from your message today. Yeah. And I, I think, I guess if we're, we're connecting the dots, I mean, the, the, the daily decisions to engage in or not engage in particular behaviors, the aggregate of those over time are going to form our decisions in more extraordinary circumstances. What do I mean? It's like, okay, so the decision not to, you know, to, to not watch pornography, to not engage in masturbation, to, to hold myself to this higher standard Christ calls me to, 
you know, now when I'm called to testify on behalf of this little person that I, I can't immediately see, right? They're in the mother's womb. I don't have like an x-ray machine immediately before me, but I know that's a person and not just like a, a tree or something. Um, I mean, now, I mean, I'm, well, I've, I've made this decision to stand in the truth in other things. I can stand in the truth here Amen. and whatever is going to come at me, um, I, I can take it because I, there's, there's a strength that's involved in that. You know, like you go to the gym each day, you, yep. you work out, you, you exercise your muscles, you get tears, they, they heal, they get stronger. Uh, the same thing happens in our, our moral lives as well. Um, love the gym metaphors. We love the gym. Yeah, metaphors. right. So <laughs> that's great. This is meant for life. Yeah, we need, we right. need our we spiritual like muscles. Up, going. Up, oh, my yeah. friend, don't, don't sweat the faith. <laughs> <laughs> well, Father, maybe we, we nice. could end. I know you have to end it in three minutes, so maybe we could end with prayer. And, and sure. I personally really appreciate you. I know you're super busy, and we're just this no, fledgling podcast. Yeah. And, um, but do you mind if I draw us back really quickly? Do it, Pete. Hit us, man. You said the father of lies, and I just wanted to draw us back to the garden where we began yeah, with uh, with right. Father Beatrice's. Wow. And um, did go. he did he really tell you not to eat of the fruit? <laughs> <laughs> it all goes back to the garden. It's a great line. Just it's like so your true. theology teacher taught. <laughs> right, um, Father B. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Dynamic Catholic and Matthew Kelly. His new book is Holy Moments. And I sent this to our kids. He said, uh, when you have a decision to make, consult your future self. Imagine yourself 20 years from now looking back on this moment and honor what your future self advises you to do. Hmm. I like that. It's a good perspective. Yeah. yeah, to help us with our daily decisions. There was another one that he had in there that I sent over to our children, which I thought was really nice too. But it was just about that. It was about considering each moment or each encounter on a daily basis as potential holy moments sure. or non-holy moments if we don't make the right decision in that moment. Absolutely. We're yeah. not going to get them all right. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I pray for you? Is that okay? There's a really beautiful prayer for priests. So yeah, sure, for fine. you Amen. and for all priests, is that okay? Yeah. Hey man, yeah. do it. And I just, I guess holy I just want to say real quick before um, that, like the ability to engage in and to be bold for for, for Christ and these things that we've been talking about, um, it begins with our own healing. Uh, we need to come to him, come to the divine physician and be healed mm. in order to then go forth and be agents of healing in the culture. Amen. And so uh, I just want to encourage any young men out there who are right in the thick of the battle, thick of the fight, feeling discouraged. Discouragement is not of God. Uh, Christ is here. He has come to save and to f- seek out the lost. And so come to him. And no peace, no healing, no joy, no no what it is that God has called uh, you to and uh, and me. So, Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Father Beadricky. Amen. All right, let's close in prayer in the name of the Father and, and the, the Son, Son and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of our priests. Through them, we experience your presence in the sacraments. Help our priests to be strong in their vocation. Set their souls on fire with love for your people. Grant them the wisdom, understanding, and strength that they need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Inspire them with the vision of your kingdom. Give them the words they need to spread the gospel. Allow them to experience joy in their ministry. Help them become instruments of your divine grace. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns as our eternal priest. Amen. 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 Our Lady of Fatima, pray, pray for, for us. St. Joseph, pray for, pray for us. us. 
and St. John Paul II, the great. Pray, Pray for, for us. In the name of the Father, and, and the, the Son, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank, Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Father Beadricky. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Signing off.